mean, really? How good is the God we serve? And how good is the God that loves us, right? I mean, like when I stand here and I stand with you all and we are reminded that when he goes forth, bones become armies. Like I just kind of go, that's awesome. Like when we are reminded that ashes become beauty, that what is dead becomes alive, what is dark becomes light, what is bound becomes free, I kind of go, that's why I'm here. That's why I follow him, because he's awesome, right? I mean, that is why we gather, isn't it? I mean, this is, this is what the author of the book of Hebrews said. Uh, he said, listen, folks, follow Jesus. Whatever you do, don't neglect gathering together as some do uh, neglect. Be because why? When we come here and we gather and we declare together the goodness of God and who he is, it stirs within us a thing that leads us to love and good deeds. And we are made for love and good deeds because we are made to be his image bearers, right? And so when we come together here and this happens, I just kind of go, <laughs> that's why we're here. Because we are reminded of his goodness. And then we are reminded of our calling. And that's exactly what we are stepping into this morning. We here at Mosaic in our annual calendar uh, choose a weekend where we stop and we pause the regular journey that we're on and, and we fix and focus our hearts and minds on the incredible calling it is that we have on our lives to be a people in bearing God's image that go into the world and find the places where justice is injustice and do something about it and where mercy is absent and become mercy and where death reigns and bring life and where freedom is absent and, uh, or, or bondage is present and bring freedom. This is what we are called to do. And so we take a weekend and we stop and we say, let us be reminded of what we are recipients of and be reminded of what we are invited and called into to be to participants in. So what are we recipients of, right? When our ancestors, Adam and Eve, made the decision to pursue their own destiny and their own story uh, under the belief of the lie of God's enemy. And, and they chose that path. What entered into our human story and into the story of creation was a virus that we name sin. It was a deadly thing that came in and its end is always the same. It produces death. And so we became a people that were dead in our sins, dead in that virus. And not only did it produce death in us as our inevitable end, but it also separated us then from life and from freedom and from light from God. So we became not only dead, but we became orphaned from the family that we were created to be part of. But our good father did not say, well, you chose this, so you on your own. No, 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 no. He did something extraordinary. God pursued our story, came to us, and paid a massive price to redeem our story and reverse it so that the virus of sin would not have its way. We would not die. We would have eternal life and he would be our father once again. And we orphans are made sons and daughters. This is the story of the gospel. This is what is revealed in scripture. And you see that throughout the story from Genesis to Revelation. So we are recipients of one who came into our brokenness, 
tolerated our hostility so that he could save us and make us sons and daughters again. We went from being orphans to being children. This is our good father. And then that same good father says to us, when I first created you, I created you to bear my image, to reflect me, to do what I do, speak as I speak, live as I live, to to be what I am. And so that all of creation, as they see you, human race, they see a reflection of me. And so as part of his great and wondrous Uh, redemption of us. He restores to us that purpose and says, now as followers of me and children of mine, you are called into a life where every circumstance, relationship, and resource is an opportunity for you to engage in redeeming the unredeemed spaces as I engage in doing that in and through you before you and behind you. This is our privilege and calling. How do we know? Because it's, it's scattered throughout scripture, right? Even in the Old Testament, before Jesus came to this planet in flesh and demonstrated his redemption, we see the constant declarations of clarity from the prophets where they're like, this is what you're called to. Summarized in certain places like Micah 6.8, the prophet Micah writes, and remember what he says? Hey, people, I got a lot to tell you. I mean, there's an entire book that represents the things that you are uh, to know and be called to. But can I summarize for you? Do you want to just kind of know if, if you went to God and you had like three seconds and you were like, okay, God, time out, big book. What do you want me to do? Here's what God would say. Micah 6, 8, well, what I want you to do is I want you to go out and live justly. In other words, find injustice in your own self, in your home, in your community, in your world, and do something about it. Because you can, because I've empowered you. And love mercy, where you find places where people are suffering, do something about it, because that's what mercy demands. Be mercy to a world of suffering. And walk with me while you're doing that. Don't be going out there by yourself like I'm sitting on my throne. You go do the work. Come back. Show me how well you did. Look, God, I did justly and loved mercy. Are you proud of me? It's like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. I go. You come with me. So love mercy. Do justly and walk with me while doing it. And then he goes on. That's the summary. Later on, James will write uh, the first letter as far as we know to the early New Testament church. They're in crisis. They're not sure if the gospel is going to survive. They're losing people. Persecution is high and the church is going, what do do we do? And James from Jerusalem writes a letter to the 12 tribes scattered and he describes the Christian life. And there's so much in that letter, beautiful, wonderful things. But in the first chapter, he kind of comes toward the end of it. And he's like, there's a lot I have to say about how to do this. But I just want to keep our eyes on where the summary exists. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, three seconds in an elevator, there's God. Hi. And he's like, hi. And you're like, okay, quick. We got three seconds. What do I do again? This is what God would say. He would say, okay, three seconds. Here's the summary. Okay, here it is. You want to know what kind of religion I consider just to be the purest form of the expression of what I've done for you? Go take care of the orphans and the widows and don't buy into the insane philosophies of this world, but trust my word and my way. That's it. That's what James 1.27 says. Care for the widows and orphans and walk with me. 
So this, this is our calling. It's not complicated. It's not confusing. It's not giant. It's right there. So the question becomes for us, okay, that's great. How do we do this? What does that look like? Because we are in a world that is broken and that has a lot going on that needs redeeming. So how do we do that? And in our journey, as we translate into actually walking in that here at Mosaic, in the years that we've been been involved in the world, we have discovered something. That in this world, there seems to be a pattern. It's not the only pattern and not the exclusive pattern, but it's one of the major patterns. Wherever we encounter poverty, we watch poverty inevitably lead to vulnerability. Let me say that again. Whenever we encounter poverty, it typically seems to lead to vulnerability, multiple vulnerabilities, physical vulnerabilities, emotional vulnerabilities, spiritual vulnerabilities, uh, other vulnerabilities communally. So poverty leads to vulnerability and vulnerability, wherever we seem to find that on the planet, someone's waiting to exploit that. So vulnerability leads to exploitation. When we find vulnerable humans, we exploit them. So Poverty leads to vulnerability, which leads to exploitation. And we have actual names for these things. The good news is the first one is the same as the thing. Poverty is poverty. That's right. Poor places. It leads to vulnerability. Vulnerable children, orphan crisis, foster care. These are all words that are created uh, that are the outpouring or expression of vulnerability. And then exploitation, we have a name for it, human trafficking. That's right. And so what we do is we look at that as a river. At the top of the river is poverty, and that's what's producing vulnerability. So do we want to do something about that? Yes, because then we don't have vulnerable children if we eliminate poverty. But in the meantime, we also have what? Vulnerable children. So we're not just going to go do something about that and hope for the best in the future. We got to pull these kids out as they drift by on the river vulnerable. And that's adoption and foster care and all that comes with that, advocating, serving, all that. And then as they move on past, if they get past us here, they end up exploited in human trafficking. So are we going to ignore that? No, we can go after that and do something about that too. So this is how we engage here as a people in stepping into solving the issues of injustice that is right around us. That's what we want to do. Today, we are focusing in and zooming in on that middle space, the vulnerable children space, partly because in the scripture, that one seems kind of non-negotiable, right? This is what I consider pure. Take care of the orphans and the widows, the ones floating on by right here. Do some other stuff, but, but right here, keep your eyes right here. So in this current environment we live in, did you know that there is 143 million orphans currently on the planet? 143 million children don't have a home, don't have parents that can care for them. So when I say that, you and I go, I mean, we're out. There's like, there's like a few thousand of us. What, what are you going to do? I hear you. That's a really big number. But look at how that number translates right here. Okay. We are now coming to Orange County, Lake County, Osceola County, the tri-county area that we live in. Here it is. Ready? Currently in Orange County, 35 children waiting to be adopted. Today, we're sitting right here. 35 children are ready to be adopted and waiting. That's not a big number. And it's a big number. You with me? Listen to this one. 1,545 children in Orange County are in foster care right now. 
need foster homes, in foster homes, wrestling through the realities of foster care. In Lake County, 34 children are waiting to be adopted right now. And 494 children are in foster care. Now you might say, oh, good, that's a much smaller number. <laughs> Lake County's awesome. <laughs> Hold. Hold, because here's another little stat for you you should know. Do you know how many calls Lake County got in 2020 about vulnerable children that are in spaces of maltreatment? 5,678. They only got 494 in foster care. The others are still in those homes. Osceola County has 22 kids waiting to be adopted right now. They have 425 children in foster care right now, and they got 5,761 calls in 2020 of children that need to be pulled from their homes because it's not safe. And they, uh, yeah, now suddenly we're all like, ooh, that's a lot, yeah, that's a lot. And I share that to say, do we have a world that needs us to do something about justice? that needs us to be merciful because they're suffering? No question about that. I mean, that's, that's, that's an easy one. That's as simple as can be. And so we got to step into that reality. So today, what we want to do is we want to offer you, as a people that follow Jesus, an opportunity to engage through our time together in a glimpse into what the other side looks like if you're actually one of those children, actually a foster care child in foster care, actually a child waiting to be adopted, actually a child engaged in that. So we have invited an organization called No More. We've invited them because wait for it, here's, here's, here's their little tagline. No more poverty, no more orphans, no more slaves. So they, they play right in, this, in the river we play in, right? To, to bring justice. We've asked them to come because they are going to share with us an experience that allows us through multiple forms to just take our hearts and tap into this reality that moves past the numbers into the stories. Do you know why? Because here's the reality. Every number I just mentioned, 1,543, 25, every one of those numbers is nothing but a number when I say it, but every one of those numbers has a face, an actual face. These aren't just numbers. They're actual children right here. They have a face. And every one of those faces has an actual name. It's an actual person that right now while we sit here is somewhere in a house in the Tri-County area longing for a family that would adopt them. It's an actual name. And every one of those actual names has an actual story, a real story, their story that we don't yet know. And we want to experience those stories through the stories we get to experience on this stage today. So let us sit back and see what it's like to be on the other side and have our hearts stirred. Positions, everyone. From the diaphragm on my cue. There's an entire choir made out of an orphanage in Uganda where the orphans sing like organs. Fluorescent light shoots out of their voices to the point where their hallelujahs are blinding. I never met them, but I did meet Jim. My name is faceless to most, but I answer to Jim. 
All I know is that I was born in an army base in North Carolina. Mommy and daddy split. Next thing I know, like cargo, I was packaged and shipped to Indiana. A six-month intention turned into some 18 years. Auntie was basically forced to adopt me. Emotional tug-of-war for decades. Anger settled at the bottom of my glass heart like pebbles. Silhouettes of suicide seduces my senses, and suddenly, sometimes I find myself competing with not even existing. Thinking that perhaps with casket and cold body, the chances were higher that someone would kiss me or validate my presence or gifting. But the Lord goes gleaning. He plucked me out of a cornfield in Indiana, uses me as cornbread to feed many. There's a dinner table full of misfits that fit right into God's plan. Can somebody say grace? Man, this is just some of my story. And I did meet Leah. My name is faceless to most, but I answer to Leah. I watched daddy overdose on heroin when I was three years old, but remember it as though it were earlier today. Mommy moved us from Manhattan to Apopka, Florida. To aunts and uncles, I was just known as my crazy sister's daughter. Out of control of the situation, I refrained from conversations. Mommy's questionable lifestyle landed her locked up, leaving me, Leah, like leftover luggage family wasn't prepared to carry. Hated being everybody else's burden. Tried to run away but got caught because they heard me in the kitchen. Guess I should have used pillowcases instead of plastic bags. I wasn't taken away. I was given to the system. My entire sixth grade year coming home to Great Oaks Village group home, not one soul came to visit this little girl. And there were always visitors. I inhaled rejection and exhaled hate, sorrow, and confusion like puffs of cigarettes. It wasn't good for me. You know, the foster care glasses are really cheap and plastic, and with the gap in my teeth, man, how mean they can be to a half-white, half-Latino nobody who needed a friend. Eventually, a family takes me in. Gaining a new father, but losing my natural mother in the same breath from a jail cell, staring into her beautiful eyes. Now the color of HIV, she has to sign consent papers, releasing responsibility. I watched her go from healthy to a skeleton in the blink of a lifetime, 12 years young, numb, like Novocaine ran through my veins, from my brain on down, y'all, I'm still healing. My new daddy fixed computers for a living, and my brother was a genius. So they spoke to me quite often of Jesus. 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 So I picked up interest in both PCs and the gospel. I currently run and program computer systems at schools for a living. There must be a God who cares about children. This is just some of my story. 
For the 143 million worldwide left between the cracks of city streets and DCF, listen, keep your head up. There's an elephant in the sky, huge and has a great memory. You are not forgotten. You are remembered and revered. And on behalf of the 286 million or so parents unprepared, I apologize. I pray all stone hearts among you are broken by a rushing river of love from a family that never runs dry in more ways than one. I wish upon you the blessings that come from being adopted. Forty-three years ago, in the most notorious mental institution in upstate New York, a baby was born to a mother shackled to her bed in the middle of the night. The nurses found him in the morning, still attached to the umbilical cord, and fearing brain damage had him rushed to the hospital. Concurrently, a 19-year-old intern at the State University of New York was approached by one of the supervisors. Have you ever thought about adopting? To which she replied, I always have. I thought I would adopt my first and my last. Depending on the fact that she was too young and naive, she never suspected that they had a plan. And so two weeks later, that intern, me, became a mom for the first time. They dropped him off and said, feed him and clothe him. That's all you'll ever do for him. And our adoption journey began. Chris is married, the mother, the mother, the father of five children, three of whom are adopted is getting ready to retire from the Tampa Police Department, and most importantly, loves Jesus with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then there was Isaac, and Micah, and Amy, and Jacob, and Cody. This is Cody's story. Born with the highest levels of cocaine and alcohol they had ever registered in a newborn, his prognosis was poor, and we were asked to take him until he passed away. But God was writing the story. By the age of five, he had multiple diagnoses from fragile X to autism to ADHD, to ODD. And by the time he was in high school, he came to his dad and I and said, I know what I want to do when I graduate. I want to go into the Air Force. And we thought, how do we tell him? That's probably not possible. And so instead we said, if that's the story God's writing for you, let us know how we can help. Cody not only served six years in the Air Force, but he served in special forces, providing security for then Vice President Mike Pence and First Lady Melania Trump. 
Cody is now pursuing a music career and is a master electrician. And then there was Samuel and Sophie and Sarah and Jamie and TJ and Shadrika and Tiffany and Paul and Analia. Oh, and we were done. Four of our children that joined us joined as teenagers coming out of multiple failed adoptions, and they were hard. And we knew God would be done with us because we'd done our part, right? But God wasn't just writing a story for our children, but for our lives as well. And almost four years ago, Nayeli, Angel, Jaylene, Evan, and Jaden joined our family as children and their siblings, Brianna, JJ, Haven, and Max joined our family as grandchildren. Last service, people asked how many, so I'll total it for you, that made 20. It's been a challenging journey, but God is still writing this story because every number has a face, every face has a name, every name has a story. Every number has a face, every face has a name, and every name has a story. He was 10 years old, and the next day was costume day at school. So excited, he laid his costume out at the edge of his bed. He turned off the light. He crawled into bed. He couldn't sleep. He was so excited. He lived in one of those split floor plan houses, so his window was at ground level, and he's staring at the ceiling, and he begins to see it. Red light and blue light back and forth and back and forth and then he hears it banging on the front door and then commotion upstairs running in the hallway he becomes scared he curls up in his bed and then it got quiet just for a second then he heard the thud someone coming down the stairs the door swings open. It's his brother. And he throws this black trash bag in his face. He says, pack your things. He can't hurt us anymore. Well, tomorrow's costume day. Can't, can't leave. In behind his brother comes an officer. Son, you can't stay here tonight, but we're going to take you somewhere safe. So he packed his whole life up in that black trash bag and slowly made his way up the stairs and leaned over the railing to see his mom crying and stepfather on the ground in handcuffs. Cop just ushered him out the door into the back of a car and that would be the last time he ever lived in that small little Midwest town. They'd drive him into the city, and he would meet a couple that would come out of their home and greet him with a smile and say, you can stay here, you're safe.
Now fast forward a couple of years and he reunifies with his father who's remarried in a new state, a new city in Atlanta, Georgia. There he has a new family and he meets new friends. One in particular who invited him to church when he was a teenager. And at the age of 17, through all that trauma, that boy met Jesus in a small little Baptist church. I'm that boy. That's my story. That's my story. People, I'm here not to invite you into a happy ending, but a beautiful mess. Jesus took 12 disciples and he turned the world upside down. And in Matthew 25, he paints this picture for us. He says, whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The hungry, the sick, the imprisoned, the lonely, the hurting. Whatever you did for one of these, you did for me. My favorite words in that scripture are these and mine. Why? Because Jesus made it personal. He didn't say those people over there. He said, my brother, my sister, my kid. Jesus painted this beautiful picture of ownership that we have the opportunity today to make it personal. This is your invitation to make it personal because every number has a face. Every face has a name. Every name has a story, and every story is an opportunity for redemption through you and me. We um, have the privilege as a church that this beautiful moment is not our entry point into the world of foster care and adoption. But we've been journeying this road for a decade plus. And so we do not walk into this space with a romanticized idea of how all this goes. We recognize with total clarity that between the start of each of the stories you just heard and the end of each of those stories, there was much brutality, difficulty struggle, tears, and heartache. And that not all stories, when we engage in these spaces, have what we perceive as the happiest of endings. But every time we step into the story of a child that does not know love and we love, their story changes. And redemption happens even in the invisible spaces. And often, those spaces emerge in the strangest moments and we're like, there it is! Sometimes small, sometimes big. I just had a big moment. I have the privilege, along with my wife, Brooke, to be the dad and she the mom of eight crazy, incredible, not-so-beautiful children. And uh, they're not littles anymore. They're now emerging as young adults and two of them are seniors. And we're doing that whole college tour thing, which some days I'm like, another trip, another drive, another flight. Why? And just recently, um, I jumped in the car with um, 
Mahari, who's one of my seniors. Uh, we drove to the airport, flew over to Atlanta, Georgia, and then drove to West Georgia, to the University of West Georgia, where we got to sit with the coaching team for their runners there as the coaching team did their best to recruit Mahari because he runs a mile in 419 or 420, so I'm just saying it's a little fast. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, we want you. And so they're sharing with my son uh, their dreams for their track team and how he could be one that could really develop that track team and, and expand that track team and, and push it to the next level and how excited they are that he would consider stepping into their school. And we're driving back to the airport and Mahadi's just kind of sitting quietly and we're kind of chatting, how was it? And he sits quietly and at a certain point he says to me, you know, God, God must have big plans for me because how did I get from a little town in Ethiopia where my future was uncertain, would have grown up in poverty, vulnerable, and with no real sense of what an outcome might be, carving out of that space a life if I even had a life to live in a war-torn, difficult space. But instead, I'm dreaming about helping change a track team at a school and be a leader among men and stand in the hallways of that school having shaped history and all that to be able to share the gospel with these folks. He told me two of the guys on track team already go to church and how fun is that and they can, they can carry the gospel and I'm just driving back thinking to myself, man, when God invited us to step into the hard place of engaging with children in vulnerable spaces. He had a plan for their stories. That's in his hands. But what if we'd said no and just missed this car ride, this moment? When we talk about these spaces as you sit here, I recognize that you're already nervous because you're like, it's not fair. You're like stirring me up. I'm going to say yes to something and then die. And I'm like, yeah, probably. But we're not doing it because we think it's a great idea to suck you into something and manipulate into you into a world because we have a need. We stand here because the call is clear and the world is broken. But we also realize that not all of our calls are the same. I would love to stand here and say, all of us should foster and all of us should adopt. I want to say it, but I know it's not a truth. I can at least say this, all of us should seriously consider it because I think we live in a world where often in the Christian world, we say, assume a no and he might call you. You know what I'm saying? Please not me. Oh, darn it. But I would argue that the scriptures already put the call on the table. All of you should engage in caring for vulnerable children. So the only question should become how, not if, but how. And so I think it's fair to argue, I'll get some emails on this, it's okay, feel free to send them. That if we as individuals who follow Jesus are not involved in some way, caring for vulnerable children, we are not paying attention to scripture and we are living in disobedience. The beauty is that there are multiple ways. And so we have multiple options. 
And what we want to do here is invite how many of you? All of you to choose an option because there are so many options and you ought to be involved. So the obvious options are you can become a foster family and foster children. You can become an adoptive family and seek out one of the children that are waiting for a family and engage. You can do that, but you can also engage in becoming an advocate for vulnerable children. There's multiple ways to do that. And you can engage in serving the families and the children who are adoptive families and children and foster families and children because they need you so they can sustain the difficult and complex world in which they live. I was just on a retreat this weekend with my wife having the opportunity to speak to about 40 couples that are adoptive and foster couples who got a weekend retreat away from their families to kind of be poured into a bit. And as Brooke and I are sharing our story, uh, there are tears all over the room as always because they can finally sit and say, it's okay that we feel overwhelmed and like we're dying. And then as we uh, had this time, one of the things we asked is we, we handed out a prize uh, for the couple who had gone the longest not having a night away because they are fostering or adopting. So we started, you know, how many of you in the last six months have hand just stayed up and stayed up and a few hands. You know what the, you know what the longest stretch was in that room for a couple that has not had a night away because of the complexities of their family unit and the lack of respite care that they have. Any guesses? Three would be a decent guess. Keep going. Someone said five years. There it is. Four years and 11 months that they have not had a night away. Do you know why not? Because when you are an adoptive family or a foster family, it's complicated to ask people to watch your kids because it's complicated. And if you don't have good people wrapping around you that understand what it means to care for a family that you struggle to make it. And so we have the opportunity to become people that wrap around families that adopt or foster if we are not the families adopting and fostering. Those families over there, some of them don't have wraparound communities yet. Commission 127, which was the ministry that put that retreat on, that's what they do. They, they work with churches, including us, and they develop wraparound care for these families. So some of the families that were there, their churches didn't have enough people to do wraparound care. So they came to our church to say, could we find it here? And, and as they come, because they need wraparound care and the families in our church need wraparound care, we are able to say to them, well, the good news is we have a waiting list because we have so many people that want to be in wraparound care groups. And we've got so many wraparound care groups that we have all these families uh, that have adopted and fostered and they're already cared for. And we're just waiting for more families who have adopted and fostered so we can start caring for them. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Mm, except that's not our waiting list. We do have a waiting list, but it's the foster families and adoptive families that are on that waiting list, waiting for another wraparound care community to be set up so that they can have some meals delivered and some babysitting here and there and a nice card in the mail once in a while and someone to cry with when they are having a hard day. And we have a church of thousands of people. That would be all of you, <laughs> just in case you were like, oh, really? That's amazing. No, no, you. 
And yeah, while foster care and adoption is a big ask and a big call, wraparound care is a big ask, but it doesn't require that much. And so what we want you to do is we want all of you, all of you, to prayerfully ask God where you should be involved, not if you should be involved. And so if you go, okay, I'll go think about it. Mm-hmm. We, we smarter than that. Um, we want you to pull your phones out right now. I'll stand here awkwardly silent until you do. Pull your phones out right now because your phones are connected to the web. Pull them out. If you're here and you're visiting, this is your first time and you're like, oh, I'm not really part of this church. Uh, good, pull your phone out um, because <laughs> this issue has nothing to do with one church. It has to do with a world that needs us as a people to engage. So here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna go to thisismosaic.org forward slash interest. Thisismosaic.org forward slash interest. Now here's the good news. Good news. What is the word at the end of that after the forward slash? Interest is the word commitment. No, you're not committing to anything by filling this form out. You are asking a question. You are saying, if there were an area that I would be interested in, it would be this area. So that gives you all the freedom to mark something because you're committing to nothing, but you are asking for information about something. Are you with me? Now, there is one category on that that says, I'm already involved. We put that there because there are those of you in this room that are currently fostering or adopting or in a wraparound care community, pouring your hearts out or your advocates for the things. We want you to mark the already involved because here's what typically happens. You get the 12 people that are already doing three of the four things and they mark the fourth one. And you get the other thousand people that don't mark any of them. That's not what we want today. We want those of you already doing this just to mark the, I'm already doing one of them. And the rest of us choose one to say, I'd like more information. Because we all ought to get the information we need to prayerfully consider how we will be involved in caring for vulnerable children. Because if you call this church home and you call Jesus King, then this is to us a non-negotiable. This is what we do, because we follow Jesus. There's another opportunity for those of you that can adjust things quickly, which is many of us. At the end of this gathering, when this gathering's over, if you walk out into our lobby and you just hang out for a little bit, right? There's gonna be two meetings at one o'clock. There's gonna be a meeting for those interested in adoption or foster care. You're like, I just wanna find out more. We're going to have an actual like information meeting for that. So you don't even have to wait. You marked it. You're like, just go there. And then there's going to be another meeting for those interested in what it would mean to be an advocate for vulnerable children in our area and what it would mean to serve on a wraparound care community for a family that's in this church that's already needing a wraparound care. If you're like, I want to know more about that, there is a meeting at one o'clock for you to get information. I would ask you if you're able to make that shift in your calendar and hang out and get some information. Because how many of us should be involved in one of these things when this is all said and done? All of us. Because that's the call. And we want you to do that. So, we are excited that God would offer us as followers of Jesus the opportunity and the call to look at our broken community as it relates to vulnerable children and say we can and get to do something about that. 
and we will, as a community and a church, come around those who are fostering and adopting and become those who are fostering and adopting so that we can become long haul foster parents and adoptive parents so that in the brutality of that journey and the beauty of it, we get to sit like you heard today and hear the stories of redemption in the children that were once orphaned and now belong and the children to whom we now belong because we are theirs that we get to say in the years to come. We have many of those stories, many. In this church, Mahari is one. But we have many stories in this church running around, don't we? Many. In these hallways, we have Donnie and AJ. We have Hope and Claudio. We have Asher uh, and many, many others. Just a few of the pictures you see now are actually in our hallways. Once a not belonging and now a belonging. Once they did not belong to us and we not to them and now they belong to us and we to them. This is just a glimpse of the hundreds of children that are already in our midst and just a start to the thousands, I hope, will one day be. So let us go out and become the people that engage in going with God to vulnerable and hard places and bring life where there is death, light where there is darkness and freedom, where there is bondage. Amen? Let me pray. God, thank you for this incredible call that you have placed on us as a people who follow you that we should consider those who need mercy, that are suffering, those who need justice, who are living under injustice, that you would say to us as your people, you want to know what I want you to do? I want you to go to those places and those people and become mercy for them and become justice for them so that they might know me and they might be free. God, thank you for that incredible privilege and calling you've placed on our lives. May we become a church and a people that step into that calling in tangible and immediate ways that we can all say, I am doing something. I am not doing everything, but I am doing something. And may all of us know that though we don't assume that we are called to everything, that we are assuming that we are called to something in the caring for those who are vulnerable. So God, move in us and through us so that we might see those numbers of children in the Tri-County area that are waiting for adoption disappear and end up in homes where they are loved. And those in the foster system end up in great homes instead of hard ones and end up in forever homes or reconciled and restored to their biological parents because a family and advocates worked hard to bring healing to all. God, help us to be a big part of that. We're so grateful that you are with us while we do it and that you are doing it before we even start because the stories of each of these children are not ours to create, but yours. And you have promised that every good work you've begun, you will finish. And you've invited us to be part of seeing it happen. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.